We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And ending yesterday's episode, I was like, I want to do kind of a a nerdy pod on five-out stuff and different actions that you can run. And so I go back and I watch some tape on specifically the units, the non-starting units, which have been very good on the offensive end. But as what happened in the Denver game, the back half of the first quarter, back half of the third quarter, really struggling on the offensive end. And so, you know, I want to do a pod about that. But as I was watching it and watching tape on this, I was like, there are elements that are important that I think need to be addressed before getting into the specifics of play calls and things like that, which we may touch on a little bit. And one of the things that made me arrive at that conclusion, Mike, was I was watching the Phoenix game. And I want today's pod to be somewhat of a Phoenix preview through this lens of how can we score on Phoenix outside of the starters. And we go up 12 to 4. LeBron checks out at the 717 mark. So very early. 12 points in four minutes and 43 seconds is very good. And that's been a consistent theme with the starters. They've been able to score well. We end that quarter with 20 points and only Two points until LeBron comes back in, which was closer toward the end of the quarter. There, so there were 11 possessions after LeBron comes out of the game, before LeBron comes back into the game, Mike. And I was like, I wonder how many times the Lakers passed the ball more than once in these situations where it's not the starters. So in those 11 possessions, there was more than one pass possession only once, Mike. We scored two points the entire time. And the whole idea that you talk about of like guys playing on islands, it's interesting because that is more conducive to like a four out mentality, meaning that, okay, we've spaced the floor for you. There's not going to be a whole ton of ball movement, a bunch of screens, things like that. You've got space to attack, beat your guy. And there's still a lot of guys kind of in that mentality, specifically when the starters go out of the game. So anyway, that's an observation that I have for tonight, Mike. We're playing a a, a team with a defensive scheme that we're very familiar with. That, that second unit uh, is anchored by Eubanks, who's a very good rim protector. They've got some good guys out on the perimeter so all of that all of that spiel Mike uh, to to say how do we score against Phoenix tonight just off the top as we're recording we don't know if Booker or Beal are going to play which I think of course matters more for the Lakers on defense uh, than it does on offense Uh, but Booker has taken a step up defensively and 
I guess Pete, as you're describing all that and, and the Lakers surely have watched the tape from Denver and they're sitting there and hopefully some combination of either the coaches or LeBron or whoever are pointing out some of those possessions or they're just not even have, you don't have to point out anything. Just look, guys, <laughs> just watch this possession. And everybody is looking at that. Oh, OK. Ball stuck there. Didn't get moved around. And to me, the combination of that plus the game moving home plus Phoenix being much, much less um, cohesive at this point with what they're doing defensively. And yeah. even like with Nurkic in the middle relative to Jokic and how much you, they're not as congruent as you might think defensively with how Jokic is tied so much into the scheme now in Denver. So it just, to me, it just seems to be, it's going to be an easier game overall uh, for the Lakers to move the ball and to get the spots in, in places that they want to. Um, but that's not to ignore some of the reasons why, um, which I know Darius has been thinking about, you know, the ball is sticking with certain groups uh, and, you know, it just needs to get better. I'm hopeful that the tape reveals yeah. things that promote new ideas and a change of course for some of the players. I am not optimistic necessarily that those things are going to happen overnight. Yeah, I, I don't Mike. know if it's like a natural, like they saw the ball stuck there. I think there's probably a lot of those, Mike, they're like, hey, I should have made that shot when they see the tape, you know? I like the framing that you used, Pete. Some of like, last year's mentality mm -hmm. is still there with some of the players. I also think that there is a certain amount of messaging of be aggressive. Yes, very much so. That I believe in you, sort of, you can do it. Yep. Yeah, like there's this through line, I think, in the way that Darvin coaches, which I, I am a fan of this approach, which is like, we want you to be yourself. We want you to be aggressive. Like the, the open shot is, is a good shot. We want you looking to create advantage. Um, I've never heard Darvin say that term, but just the way that he coaches, I feel like that's a part of the ethos of the team. But a part of this too is like, how many natural passers do you have on your roster? How many guys are used to making plays for other players? And it's actually not that many, right? And, and so even though you have a lot of skill on the team, that skill is, if you're looking at the Venn diagram, there's like shot making, there's shot creation, and then there's that little corner of the shot creation circle where it's like, I'm actually creating shots for other people. And then the ability to make all of the passes out of that. And me and Pete were talking about this a little bit before we got online, but it's not just the ability to make all of the passes, it's what is your instinct to make the pass when you see it. And I'm not exactly sure if the instinct for most of the players on the roster is tilted towards make the pass. I think it's tilted towards, I'm gonna look for my own, Mike. Let me just say this, uh, and to kind of set up Pete's thought on this, and, and which I'm curious about. Just watching some other games around the league last night, I think the whole league has developed more into this style um, of, and. More, more shooting, more threes, like more quick, less sort of guy has the ball and it's moving around. Denver was an exception to me. Like they had 29 assists, right? The Lakers had 23. And then just taking one game, Phoenix and Golden State, Golden State had 19 assists and Phoenix had 23. 
And you go out, go up and down and look at their roster. And for even though Chris Paul is now in Golden State, it's like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Moses Moody, Gary Payton, the second Kaminga, like the, these all so many players now in the NBA, like that ability to get a shot up is sort of a is a, a new point of emphasis. And so when I'm saying the Lakers are sitting down and watching film, you're right, guys. Gabe Vincent and Rui Hachimura aren't going to be like, no, that's not my shot. I shouldn't take that. I should move it on. But I, I just think there is something to when you're watching the film and the shot misses and you see the guy wide open next to you in For contrast sure. to what Denver was doing. Mm-hmm. I think it makes some uh, element of, of difference. And you go into the next game as like a point of emphasis. This The ball um, can't has to move a little bit more than it did. I, I think you're spot on with that. And some numbers to support your point, Mike. To me, there are three teams that are kind of like – in terms of five-out offense, they're the teams to look up to that have sort of something established that have been doing this for a long time. And that's Denver, Miami, and Golden State. So the last two NBA champions and an NBA finalist uh, last year as well. Those are the teams that have been running five-out for a long time. And to your point, Mike, about like watching the games around the league, I think you're spot on that this is more pervasive in the NBA beyond just, just the Lakers. <clears throat> I'm also trying to get what Denver has, right? Like that level of connectivity is super important. And I think we've been having a lot of conversations lately about tiers, right, around the NBA. It's Denver's connectivity to me that everybody should be chasing. I understand the arguments of like you look at the rosters on paper in terms of like the talent and how talented is this team versus that team. But there's nobody that comes close to Denver's connectivity. And when you have talent along with that, that I think is something that you can really, you know, you can really go places and that should be a goal of the Lakers. So the stats that I was referring to, uh, in on opening night, Golden State passed the ball 286 times. The Nuggets passed the ball 278 times. And the Lakers, third fewest passes in the league on opening night with 240. The bottom team was actually the Boston Celtics, who's a very one-on-one team at this point with 216. Next fewest were 239. Uh, top were the Raptors with uh, 329. So that's kind of your range is between you know low 200s to low 300s in terms of passes per game. And so Darius, those three teams are like I said, kind of aspirational to me in terms of this is how you run the offense. And so. That idea of moving the ball, keep the conversation going for me on like, how do the Lakers get from where we are to that sort of level? So let's go to break here. And when we come back, let's hit that a little bit more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this is an interesting conversation to me, Pete, because 
I think that there are schematic things that you can do to try to influence ball movement. Um, you sent us a possession in our thread the other day, and it was a possession with AD with the ball at the top, and he's surveying the court. And on both sides of the floor, there's going to be pin down action for wings in order to occupy defenders so that AD can then read the floor in terms of where an opportunity to pass might come. But also, what is my read as an individual scorer to either attack uh, for off of the drive or shoot the or shoot the long jumper, or play into flow action with one of the sides of the wings, right? And a lot of times that's going to be influenced by who your primary reads are on which side side of the court and which side you want to try to exploit first. And the action that ended up being run on the right side of the court was a pin-down exchange between Torian Prince and Austin Reeves. Right. And those are two good guys to have a pin down exchange with because both of those guys can cut back door. Both of those guys can come off of screens. They could do even exchanges. And both of those guys, even off of that exchange, can flow into a dribble handoff fairly easily in order to create secondary action. But Austin was the guy who passed the ball to AD and then went into the pin down with Torian Prince, like on the right hand side of the court. And what I saw were a lack of urgency within the movement. And I saw a lack of urgency from AD in terms of his decisiveness of like, oh, I'm just sort of like waiting for something to happen. And then even Austin, after he made the pass, he sort of walked into it and like watched AD for like a beat and a half before he went to get to Prince. And the way that the Nuggets were defending, it was like they were being super aggressive and the Lakers absorbed all of that aggression and didn't meet it with their own off-ball movement. And so one of the things I want to see, Pete, is like like more assertiveness in how the guys move into actions and off of the ball in order to promote activity from the defense to make the defense react, if that makes sense. So one of the things, though, if real quick, Mike, if you don't mind, uh, one of the things that really saps the assertiveness of players in those types of actions is when they do that over and over again and it doesn't work. And I will post this play in the reply. I'll, I'll send it over to Jeannie. But AD is at the top of the key. And Jokic isn't guarding him, right? He's like a step and a half away from AD to start the play, but he recognizes the pin down action that's happening to Jokic's left, and he just takes a step back well below the free throw line. And so Austin does try to cut that, but he cuts right into Jokic. And so this is something, Mike, I've been listening to Stu Lance since I was five years old, and in transition, never fails. If a guy passes the ball before somebody has stopped him, he will invariably say, you have to attack the basket, make them get in front of you and stop you before you pass the ball. Otherwise, you got to attack the basket and look to score. That shoot the ball when you're open, like look to score if they are not guarding you is where all of this starts. Because none of that can happen if AD is not looking for his own shot. If Jokic is standing below the free throw line, that is what cuts off any that that allows Denver to be aggressive, right? You're talking about the ball denial that they were playing on on Austin and Prince. That's also how skinnier guys get played a, a lot is yeah. a lot with more physicality. 
what's what that ball denial is vulnerable to is that back cut. But if you've got a guy who's Jokic addresses that problem by sagging off. Remember how Kobe guarded Rondo in the 2010 finals? Same principle here. And so it gunks up so many passing lanes, Mike, that if you don't shoot the ball when you're open, because I sent you guys another clip of Jokic in the same action. Like I said, Denver's kind of this aspirational five out team and that this is what they do. And there was an exchange where like Vincent switched onto him and then KCP like cleared out and Vincent went with him, leaving Jokic by himself. As soon as Vincent did that, that shot's going up for Jokic. But when you watch AD, AD is looking to pass the entire time. And if you've ever played ball, right, and you're playing against somebody that does not want to take that shot, like you're going to play off of them. That happens at the park where it's, hey, let him shoot, you know, and he doesn't want to shoot and everybody else knows it. And so it kind of gunks up the possibilities of guys don't shoot when they're open. And so this is where I get to the whole like, yeah, shoot six threes a game. If they cover you like that, shoot eight threes a game, you know? But that to me is part of what can open up everything else, Mike. Yeah, see, this is where I, I love this. How we could we could really go into a basketball philosophy discussion here. And my as we're talking about, I feel like I always I don't know if it was watching Jordan growing up or um whenever we talk about jump shooting in this way and like taking the shot that the defense is giving you. There's always the part of my brain that thinks, well, yeah, but the defense is wanting to give it to you. You don't have to do what the defense wants you to do. You can force your will upon the defense in a different way, because if you're not a great jump shooting team, or even if you are, sometimes the shots just don't go in. And sure. you can't you can't just settle for those looks sometimes. And so when I'm AD is such a. By the way, this for me is like 55-45, right? It's not I, like I totally I'm, get you uh, on this. And 99% and, and I don't totally direction. disagree with you either. I I guess my counter would be what is the way that AD can overwhelm Jokic if not for the perimeter? Cuz I know he's not going to outstrength him. No, but well, he a couple of different things, but he can blow by him. Um he if he's can, playing two steps off him, three steps off him. It's hard to blow by I, a guy that's if, even in 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 even I guess so if Jokic why is Jokic backing off AD? What does he want AD to do? Shoot the ball. Wants him to shoot the ball. Why does he want him to shoot the ball? Because he's the worst jump shooter in the NBA over the last three years. Okay. And because it doesn't put any strain on the rest of the defense. Like to me, this is where um, this is where actions uh, have to come in to play some more. Like where the Lakers just got into these situations against Denver where, all right, here's what they're doing in their defense. What do we go to? You know, if if they're backing off and to me, the answer can't just be like, well, just take the shot that they're giving you. Sometimes, of course, it, it has to be Pete. Sometimes it has to be. Uh, but like over the course, I just don't want to settle for that, partly from a mentality standpoint and partly because like if you keep pounding and keep driving and we've I've seen this in I don't know how many Kobe games and I don't know how many games were like with that specific team with the Kobe and the Bynum and Gasol and Lamar Odom, like the team that was not as much of a jump shooting team, um, but was just going to pound you into oblivion ultimately. Like, so I'm, I'm not disagreeing like with your point and, uh, and the way that it looked in that matchup, I'm just always trying to advocate for like uh, for some balance of, of, um, of not just taking that jumper. So Darius jump in here. No, and I think that the bridge between both of these ideas is Pete's point about looking at some of these other teams that do this stuff well as aspirational, right? And so the reason why Pete's point as sort of an addendum to my point about like more um, enthusiasm and verve within the team's, team's actions and Pete's point about, well, it all starts because AD isn't necessarily looking to score there. 
right? Like, I don't disagree with that at at all, but an aspirational piece of how you play within this, this offense potentially is if Prince is being hugged up on, on the sideline, after Austin passes the ball to AD and Jokic is playing underneath the three-point line, and then after AD makes his catch and goes into a dribble, he backs off even more in order to take away stuff. What I'm looking for, Pete, is that idea of when AD catches the ball and Prince sees that he's getting hugged up on, he's clearing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like boom, 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 boom. And when Austin sees the back cut, he's then coming right off again of of AD looking for the dribble handoff. And Jokic is playing too far back as Austin comes off. There's a rhythm and and activity to to it all that the Lakers just aren't there yet in terms of what they want to do. Okay, and Pete, let me layer this in. Just when, if AD's in that situation and Jokic is backing up, what are the other four guys doing? Yeah. And like, what should they be doing as opposed to just like, hey, hey go either take the shot or do this. Like that, that's where I'm trying to get at. What what actions and what flows can come out of that? So the the only options isn't just oh you're backed up okay I'm gonna pull I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up and take. The so shit. this is a great question. Let's think about my th- this through the lens of Miami rather than Denver, right? Because I send you this play like this is AD not shooting the ball. This is Jokic shooting the ball. Well, to your point, Mike, Jokic is an amazing three three point shooter, but Bam Adebayo is not, and so he's a more similar analog to AD on the offensive end in a five out type of spacing. And so what Miami does, they've got a bunch of guys that can shoot off of uh, lateral movement. And so this is one of the reasons that a guy like Cole Swider is super attractive to them. Duncan Robinson is another guy. Max Struess, when he was there, Gabe Vincent can sh- shoot off of these. Um, and so Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero their whole yes, roster their whole is roster filled is built around this idea. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And so that... Um, Within the context of the Lakers, first of all, we've that's the the counteraction to like, okay, we've got our big at the top of the key, guys sagging off of him. How can we burn them? Well, it's just a very basic, like they're dedicating more resources toward the paint, and therefore the perimeter is more open than and it is. And so flowing into a handoff with the position that's next to you, for example, that's instead of in, in, instead of like Austin back cutting that, it's flowing into a handoff and it's a wide open three at the top of the key where it's like AD has to make contact on the handoff and you can get an illegal screen on that, right? But that's really one of the, the biggest counter, Mike, is that that then flows into a handoff for a better jump shooter. But the point remains is that the shot that is open against this defense is on the perimeter. And while I agree with your underlying mentality of like attacking the basket is super important. To me, it's the exact same principle of why putting a big man on Russell Westbrook down the stretch of games was really difficult to score. Like we weren't getting good shots in part because they are, they're, they are spamming something that totally allows an open shot, which is really the whole goal of X's and O's, right? You can't make shots for the players, but they're just being like, okay, we're going to be back in the paint. We are going to concede a jump shot. The thing that you can do if you don't want to give into that and be like concede a jump shot to AD is like, okay, well, this is now a jump shot for Austin Reeves and you need to close out to that. So that, that to me is the resolution to that. When Mike talked yesterday about the Lakers like not being as sharp as like they could have been, mm-hmm. it's not that they weren't trying or that they weren't playing hard. They just weren't as sharp. The stuff I'm talking about is sharpness. We're not only into the game from a physical standpoint of working hard, sure. but we're reading 
we're reading what needs to happen. And yes, that's AD looking at this shot and being like, this is the shot that's there for me. But again, when Austin passed the- Quick thing, an example of something that'll piss Darius off um, that I've, I've now known and to learn is like <laughs> somebody, instead of actually setting a screen, will just sort of like go roll over to the guy and like kind of put an arm on him and then move. And then somebody will just not cut sharply off the screen. That, that really gets your, uh, your spotty. This is how Denver kicks way. your asses. They do stuff like that really well, but part of it D is because they're going to get the ball from Jokic and they're going to be open. Yes. Yes. Well, you help me help you. Yep. Right. And so it's just like, you can pass a guy open, but sometimes the guy needs to be open. Right. And, and so and when you've got a guy who's capable of passing you open and you're capable of like getting yourself open, that's where real separation comes into play. And this is why, like, I don't want to nitpick Austin here, but if Austin, after Austin makes that pass to A.D., if his first step is a like, oh, I'm I'm just walking across an empty crosswalk on an open street where there's no cars or no right. traffic like that's the urgency that that he's showing then it's going to be difficult one of the reasons why the stuff that you talked about with Miami or with the Warriors who run similar action with Kevon Looney and yep. with Draymond Green yep. who are even less scorers so, yes. than Bam and and AD and less jump shooting talent there it's like because the Clay Thompsons of the world, the Steph Currys of the world, the Duncan Robinsons of the world, the Max Struces of the world, those guys understand that when it's time to get going, their motor is revving high and they are playing with physicality and speed off of the ball in order to try to create separation to, to get open. And some of the stuff that I'm seeing with, with the Lakers is in this new system, and we talked about this in, in yesterday's pod, that with some of the newness of this, they are not all the way there yet. And that's why, sure. again, I go back to your word about aspirational, Pete, is is like there are there are levels to step up that's right. to within the context of what the team is trying to accomplish. So let's go to break here. And when we come back, I want to bring this conversation back a little bit towards tonight's game against the Suns. So yeah, in tonight's game, the main AD matchup, and again, this is kind of where we're going to zero in on this game. That's, a th I think, something we're going to do on the pod more this year is, again, like zero in on a concept as a preview for the game tonight. So the AD Eubanks matchup, he's a guy that both of us like, Mike, as a, a rim protector. Phoenix, didn't they just lose a second round pick for tampering with him or something like that? But yes, they did they, yesterday. They spoke to Eubanks apparently uh, before they were allowed to and lost a second round pick, which is no small thing. Oh, that's terrible. That never happens. Um. <laughs> no, but well, you, it doesn't typically get get caught though. Hey. Uh, and a second round pick it's is not, you know, not like, nothing. That's yeah. something you might need to, to get off a player option or to throw in for a trade. Um, I mean, Eubanks, of course, is coming off the bench, but we think he's a got a, a, at least a better chance that, of, than Nurkic does of giving the Lakers any sort of deterrent because Nurkic was like a layup line for the Lakers in the preseason game. Yes. And on the other end, what one thing that really stood out to me, and this may be, we've talked so much about the offense around AD uh, in that I think the AD groups are probably going to need to go on defensive runs in a lot of instances and are certainly capable of it. And in that Phoenix game, that's where you had like five blocks in eight minutes. And one of the things that really stood out to me in, in AD's just 
remarkable way of being two places at once was his ability to kind of hedge along the free throw line or so on the pick and roll and then get back to Nurkic or get back to Eubanks to the point where like they were not looking to shoot around the basket. I don't know if you guys have ever played against somebody who's like both way bigger and athletic and better than you are, but there is a point where that guy is like, yeah, I'm not even going to attempt a shot around here. Uh, And it looked like that didn't happen in the NBA a whole lot, but like they looked completely helpless around the rim on that end. And so, especially when Bando goes back, I think that group could have a big defensive, you know, type of, uh, type of night, but offensively, Frank is very aggressive uh, on the perimeter, right? Likes to fight over the top of screens. Um, I'm super curious how we look to attack them because they were physical with us as well in the preseason game, D, where they're pressuring off the ball. We're going to see a lot of ball denial like you were talking about in that Denver play. And he's going to be able to protect the rim for Phoenix pretty well. And so this is going to be another example, I, I think, of a guy isn't who's in a deep drop that is, is kind of sagged off of how do the Lakers handle that yeah. tonight? Well, also too, one of the things that Frank did in that preseason game is he had whatever way the screen was coming. He had his defender. He had the on ball defender weak, weak the screen. And so, so send so him he, the other way. That's him. what weaking a screen means. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's encouraging. It's encouraging the guard to basically the on-ball defensive guard, it's allowing them to not have to try to fight over the screen. And so one of the little um, conversations that we had had around Phoenix's potential defensive ceiling and floor within the context of playing in Frank Vogel's system was, well, are you going to ask Devin Booker and Bradley Beal and and these guys to get over 50, 60, 70 screens a game? That's a lot of collisions Uh, for those type of scorers, yep. And I haven't watched a ton of Phoenix, but in the game against the Lakers, he was just like, guess what? We're not going to ask them to get over a single screen like like on the ball. We're going to force them the other way. And so in bringing AD back in to this, as all of that off ball action is like guys are top locking and they're doing all all of this stuff, the pass that's going to be there against this particular action, it's like icing a ball screen anywhere on the court is the mm-hmm. action that's there is the ball back to the big and at the, the top big of the screen at the top of the key at the top of the at the top of the key and the shot that's going to be there is the three point the pick shot. And pop three yeah it's this is a pick and pop game for Anthony Davis it's a pick and pop game for Christian Wood and it's a pick and pop and flow into a handoff action game for Jackson Hayes mm-hmm. and so to me there's a certain amount of aggressiveness as jump shooters that the Lakers bigs are going to have to have in this game, I think, rather than always looking to pound the ball downhill. And that's the that's step number one to me for Anthony Davis, Pete. So is that a bit of fool's gold against Phoenix in that, like, to me... Like I, I really like Eubanks, but they don't have a ton on the interior, and and so I hear Mike's voice, you know, ringing through my head of like, sure. look, if they've got AD taking jumpers as opposed to the things that he can do around the rim against them, wasn't they were the opponent where he had like the thirty five and twenty and five and five and five game against right? That does that play into their hands, D? I think it does. So, Mike, one of the things that I would like to see as well is the Lakers not being only a five out team. Right. Yes. And so, like, 
go back to some four out one in stuff. That might be where this put ends AD in, the, in those groups. And yep. put AD in the yep. put AD in the post, Mike, against Eubanks and Nurkic and let him use his quickness, his combination of quickness and physicality against guys who can try to bother him with bulk and with Eubanks a bit more of athleticism and, and ability to challenge him at the basket. But that's Anthony Davis. So play through him more in different spots of the floor and not just at the top of the key. Yeah, the way that I would summarize it in thinking about Denver and Phoenix specifically is that the five out should work better against Denver when Jokic is the guy who just wants to be anchored next to the paint, but doesn't provide a ton of actual rim deterrence in terms of like shot blocking, although he does his presence down there. Uh, in other words, like it's just you want to try to move him if you can, whereas a lot of teams like Frank Vogel and, and Pete, you bring, bring up Eubanks, not perfect in this sense. Um, like, uh, you know, like AD or Jaron Jackson is, but he, he does have verticality. He is athletic. He's got good timing, you know, and Frank is just going to want to take that away as much as possible. So that's his, I guarantee I've, I've seen a million Frank Vogel scouting reports. He does not want LeBron and AD getting downhill. Mm -hmm. He does not want Austin Reeves driving downhill into the middle of the lane for his little floater. Um, he wants to make LeBron and AD shoot jump shots. And if AD shoots eight threes, Frank Vogel is going to live with it mm -hmm. and be totally fine. Um, with it and figuring that, you know, two to three are going to go in. So it, it's this is one of those times where you guys just hit on it. Like, go don't just do exactly what they're hoping that you do. Mm -hmm. um, have these two different looks and use the one that's going to fit better against what their personnel is. And like to me, this game, that's less of a concern for me than defensively and how to guard this Phoenix team. But that all depends on, again, what we're not sure of, whereas Booker and Beal are both listed as doubtful. Um, I think that Booker's got the type of injury with the toe that is more likely one that he could play through than if Beal's back remains where it is. But um, not to get us off the point of, of this one, I just I, I wanted to let's talk. Let's talk that jump end of on before. top of yeah. that angle. Yeah. Let me ask you, Mike, what do you see the challenges of not just tonight, but kind of the fully formed Phoenix team of of defending them? Well, and to bring in Darius's slotting terminology here, when your weakest perimeter threat is Bradley Beal, um, in the context of having Kevin Durant, you got to devote you know a certain resource towards him. Booker to me is actually now better than Durant. Uh, I think that's been the shift. Maybe publicly we still think of KD as KD, but like in terms of the uh, who who the guy is in their prime, yep. and we saw this in Game One, right? Like Booker was thirteen for twenty one from the field. KD was seven for 22, mostly jump shots. And, but either way, like you still have to deploy a ton of attention to those two guys. And then your third guy is going to try to contain Bradley Beal, who when locked in a couple of years ago before really the last couple of years in Washington weren't as great as a team and as, as an individual, but he was basically leading the league in scoring the whole year. Um, plus 30 points per game. Like he's got a lot of stuff in his bag. And I just think that most teams, and this would include the Lakers, if you're starting Russell and Reeves there, that's just a great place to attack on whichever that third resource is. And if, if you want to try to divert it to Beal, then guess what? There's going to be more um, for Devin Booker or more for Kevin Durant. And the other position like a Kogi is just a constantly attacking the um, cutting to the basket and attacking the mm -hmm. offensive glass and just in a little bit in the way that Vanderbilt is, but I think he's a better finisher um, at the rim there. And, and then Nurkic is going to be spaced out on the perimeter differently for, uh, in, in some context than, than what the Lakers are doing with their five out and that he's like, he's not in that type of a setting really going to be occupying a ton of space down low most of the time, other than setting big screens and then kind of getting out of the way. So I just see them as being super potent 
on that end. And I think that if the Lakers are going to go with that smaller group, which it, clearly they are, Torian Prince playing well, um, that that's a tough that's a tough team to try and really defend a fully loaded Phoenix team that has Beal and Booker both healthy. Yeah, I think that this is a situation where the question comes down to like LeBron is obviously going to be on that fourth guy and AD is going to be on Nurkic, mm-hmm. right? And, and and so that leaves the Lakers three perimeter guys on KD and Beal and Booker. And it's like the challenge I see with Booker especially is like his physicality, right? And so it's one of the reasons why I thought Vando did a pretty good job against Booker when the Lakers played the Suns last season after the trade deadline because Vando's motor revs so high and he's just a bigger, stronger dude. And he really is like a four, right? But he plays like a wing, defensively at least. Not having Vando available to deploy on any of these guys creates challenges. Long term, I don't know how you necessarily defend Phoenix um, with all of those three guys healthy. You you basically just ask your guys to work as hard as they possibly can and hope that Anthony Davis is that great equalizer, like the guy who can um, step up and pick up challenges and be yeah. in like sort of two like two places at once. The bucket that the Suns got to beat the Warriors basically was a multiple screen, rescreen, rescreen, rescreen action with Nurkic and Booker, where ultimately then Nurkic got into a gap against a smallish mm-hmm. backline Warriors defense while their big was up high. Anthony Davis could hopefully take more of that away, but but that's that's one of the the challenges. But where are you at? Pete? I think with Phoenix, the once the guys like KD and Booker and Beal get into their shooting motion, it's too late. I think that the place to attack them is via their ball handling. They had a lot of turnovers in that first game. And for all of the scoring capability of that trio, none of them are pure point guards. And I know that that's kind of this like vague term, but the pressuring them and Attacking their ball handling, that's something that I think that the Lakers can do not only with a fully realized Phoenix team. And again, I think the fact that they could have injury issues is something that's been under discussed with them. Um, I think attacking their ball handling, forcing them into more turnovers is super important. I also think that they perhaps have the opposite – I don't want to say problem, but – they don't have a ton of pressure on the rim. Like Booker can get there. Beal can get there for sure. But their role men being like, there's a big drop off from DeAndre Ayton to Nurkic and Eubanks. And Nurkic is still a very good pick and roll player. Don't get me wrong, but he's not an over the, uh, over the rim type of threat. And he can certainly like a guy like AD had him looking just to not take these shots anymore. Cause he couldn't get those types of shots off. And I think that Mike, when you don't have pressure on the rim, which is an argument that you make quite a bit is, and you're strictly a jump shooting team, many of which those jump shots are in mid range. You can have a certain, uh, I think ceiling that is lo- like that's great offensive talent. They should be a very good offensive team. But I think they have a couple things working against them that not a lot, a lot of people talk about. Yeah, I, I, I uh, this is the matchup that I would love to see from a just a how does it work basketball wise. All the yeah. all that we were just talking yeah. about with both teams fully healthy, but it just sounds they're not going to have either Booker or Beal. I think at at a minimum, and so if they don't, then they just become much more defendable because sure. then Pete, like there's. They don't have like I don't think you have to have a classic point guard anymore uh, in the way I heard J.J. Redick talking about this the other day. 
But in that Memphis ran into the same problem yesterday, like with no Tyus Jones, with Ja Hurt, with Marcus Smart. And then if you don't have somebody to create on that second unit, even if it's a big, and that's where I think Phoenix is without one of the two, where their second unit, who has it's like Eric Gordon is basically playing point guard um, then, or at least the initiator. And or they're trying to play through Nurkic. And I think that that's where the Lakers have to try and expose things uh, in this game. Those are the types of places where you have to go on the runs. And to bring it back to the start of this podcast, that's where the Lakers have to be better as well. If it's not LeBron or not D'Angelo Russell. And and I do think Austin Reeves can play more uh, in that function. So those the Lakers should be better to better able to deal with those types of things when one of the two stars on the perimeter uh, for Phoenix is out. All right. uh, Should be a fun one. We will be back tomorrow to discuss how the game went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! Unbelievable, it's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.